those center worshipers in today with us and uh, those that are streaming online with us. I'm going to ask that you grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I uh, just want to make three points of emphasis as you're getting set up for what we want to share today uh, about the revival coming up. And uh, we're, we're, what are we, 13 days? We're on the 13-day countdown now. As you know, we'll be starting on uh, Saturday evening, February the 20th, and getting kicked off on a four-session revival, two on Sunday, one on Monday night, one on, to get us kicked off on Saturday night, February the 20th. And I already, uh, already looked at the, the forecast. I asked God for it to rain just enough on Saturday to cancel any kind of early baseball schedule. Uh, Lord, we don't need a torrential flood where people can't get here, but would you just make it a little wet on that Saturday where there won't be as many outdoor activities or no excuses where people can't come to the revival. And so it looks like 50s, 50s uh, on uh, uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a little rain on Saturday just as I ask, and so I'm so excited, so excited. Hey, uh, men, I want to remind you, that last day of revival, February the 22nd, we'll be having our men's breakfast. 6.30, we'll be gathering around the center. We'll have you walking out. About 56, 55, 56 minutes later, plenty of time to head to work. Would you come and would you bring somebody with you? And uh, what a great opportunity to kind of get our, some things in our men's ministry kicked off. Our ladies have been doing such a great job of women's ministry. And guys, we're lagging behind. There's so many things that we need to be doing together. And so this will be a great kickoff for the year for us, our men's breakfast on that Monday. Jeff Shreve will be here, and uh, he'll do a dynamic and incredible job of communicating God's Word with us. It's just going to be a great, great weekend. But uh, I, I guess the biggest point of emphasis today is not point one, when the revival is, and not point two, men to bring uh, items to the breakfast, but it's just a wonder or just a question, how many of you received your prayer guides in the mail? Can I just see your hands, prayer guides? Some of you don't have your hands up. I got you covered. Back in the foyer, there are extras. Several people have already stopped me this morning and said, hey, 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 you just sent one. My wife will put that in her purse. Can we have another one? And so there's some extras. If you have a split schedule or you need additional prayer guides, uh, just our little devotional study guide. Uh, 24 of our members sat down, uh, oh gosh, almost two months ago and began uh, in, the, in their prayer process. And so they have got us lined out. We want to encourage you, let's all start tomorrow morning. I know some of you have already peaked. Some of you have already started. All you have to do is tell Baptists, don't do something, and they do it. So today, don't give an offering. Okay? No, I'm just joking about that. Okay? <laughs> that could backfire, so don't, don't listen to me on that. But uh, I'm so thankful that several in our membership stepped up. I'm looking for, I've not read them. We had a proofer out of state work on them and a few couple in-house uh, proofers, but uh, I'm looking forward to beginning in the morning journaling uh, with you. I, I'm going to do some true journaling. I'm going to read, I'm going to think about the scripture that's there, I'm going to pray, and I'm also going to just do some journaling in the margin of my little devotional guide. So if you start with us in the morning, you'll end up right on time for the Saturday kickoff. When you get to Megan Thomas's devotional, you'll know you're just hours away from being at church and the revival starting. 
So we hope this is going to be a great tool for you and for our church. Uh, one of the things that we're doing right now with one of our members on Wednesday is we're praying in unison for one of our men, uh, members' health. We're all praying at exactly the same time, asking for God to restore her. And uh, I, I think there's something that uh, gets God's attention very quickly when all of his people at one time come together. And so even though we won't be at the second or the minute exactly, when we gather around sometime in the morning hours, sometime in the afternoon or evening hours around God's word in our time of prayer, God will take special note of how important this revival really is to us. This is where revival will be won in those small pockets of prayer, the catalyst for all that God is going to choose to do. I don't know about you, but I am so excited. Also, I want to let you know I'm going to take a vacation when this revival's over. I told to one of our deacons that today, and he said, well, why? You're not preaching. You're not doing anything. Well, that made me really feel good. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I, I wanted you last week and this week to hear my heart about two very important things. Last week, about my prayer, just as your pastor, to see if God might ignite our body for him. Just the body of Christ, the church. But today I want to return to something that we spoke about several months ago. I return there because after 40, almost 40 years of teaching, it doesn't matter if it's middle school students, high school students, being an adjunct professor at East Texas Baptist, if you can teach educational psychology at ETBU, you can teach anything, man. Trust me. Especially to 10 baseball players at night in a night class. You can teach anything. If you can teach driver's ed to 15-year-old students that you've never seen before going 70 miles an hour on I-20, you can teach anything. If you can pastor a Baptist church, you can teach anything. But I just sense that we really don't have the understanding that we need to have around this topic of repentance. And I think part of the issue is not what's been taught, and it's not your hearts. It's the culture around us. You and I are ingrained. We are filled to capacity with degrees and levels of different structures and procedures in our society. Think about our law. Everything is by degree, isn't it? First degree murder or second degree murder. I mean, everything is categorized by certain levels. And that's bound to have an impact on us when it comes to the spiritual nature of our relationship with God, especially when we talk about that subject that we so seldom talk about, sin. And whether or not you want to admit it today, I don't care. Because inside of all of us is this little absorption meter from all of those years of grades in school, of all of these profiles and performance reviews at work, in a culture that puts everything in certain marks. I mean, even from a small child, we were marked on the door how tall we were growing. Progress is everything. And so knowing that, 
you and I have a struggle. Whether we want to admit it today or not, we have a struggle. So in the Christian life, if we avoid what we think are the first degree items, we haven't murdered anyone, we haven't raped anyone, we haven't stolen from anyone, Somewhere along the line, when it comes to this concept of repentance, two things creep into our minds and hearts that are destructive. Number one, that repentance is a bad thing if you have to do it. It's kind of like the old Western movie when the traveling preacher came around with the white collar and the dark suit on. And he took that bony finger in these churches as he traveled around. He said, you need to get your life right with God. And, and I guess that's our thinking is, man, this whole thing of repentance is a negative thing. And then we don't realize, number two, that it's the little things in our lives, and in, in each of our lives, that so often hinders God's very best in what he's attempting to do in our life. And don't take that that God can't, it's that God will not. And so today I want us to return six of those this week. It won't be me, but someone will do that. But uh, maybe on one side of the wall you can follow along with us. There's probably a pew Bible close to you. Or if the person is cute next to you, you can't move any closer. Sorry, it's COVID restrictions. Here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse number 8. Even if I've caused you sorrow, Paul's writing now to the church at Corinth, by my letter, he says, I do not regret it. I love that. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sad or as the NIV translates it, you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, you became sad. Most of you have sad in your translations, as God intended. So we were not harmed any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, worldly sadness, if you will, brings death. Look in verse 11. Boy, this is a monster verse for us today. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Verse 12, so even though I wrote to you, it was neither on the account of the one who did the wrong, nor on the account of the injured party, but rather that because God... You could, uh, rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. Four quick statements, and then we'll get to these marks. And you got to listen quickly today. We've got to boogie down the road quickly today. A lot to share. Four statements. Let's jot them down together. First of all, please embrace this. Hear your pastor's heart today. Repentance is a very, very good thing. Write that down. Repentance is a very, very good thing. If you're here today and you want more out of your life, especially your Christian life, if you want to walk closer in tune with God, if maybe you haven't 
the, the expectations of what you would hope your relationship with God would be. Hey, we got great news. Repentance is more than likely the catalyst that's missing in your relationship with God. And we know repentance is not always fun or pleasant. It's not always an easy thing. But what I want you to walk away with today is it is a very good thing. This church at Corinth and these verses that we just read, I wish we had more time. I think God may be leading me to a four-year study of 1 Corinthians over at Moore Midweek, but I'm not certain. Can you believe four years? I'm just wondering, do I want to invest four years in 1 Corinthians? And I think that's what it would take. But here's what I do know. No church was more problematic to Paul than Corinth. Did you know that we have, we have physical record of four letters that Paul wrote to Corinth? Just two here made the canon of scripture, but we have at least two more that we have record of in extra biblical materials. By the way, one of those was a scathing indictment about some sexual impurity that was going on in Corinth. Well, Paul didn't mince words in what we would call the third letter to Corinth. Wow, pretty stern rebuke. But in writing these letters, we're reminded of the sin and the challenge and the rebellious spirit that this church had demonstrated at a number of different junctions. But did you notice something? Paul highlights his problem child here with some really good news. He says, you know, one of the things that this letter, one of the things that pinpointing these issues that we're having is it's bringing about a change in the congregation. It's bringing about, at least as Titus brought it to me, a, some great reporting of some tremendous spiritual footing. Well, you believers in Corinth, Paul says, you had a long way to go, but the great news is you're making some big ground. And as you and I gather around God's word today, I think that's what's so important for us to understand is repentance is a very, very good thing. It's a good thing because as we have sorrow over sin and we grieve the wrong choices that we make from time to time, grief leads us to the right place and the right choices. Didn't you love that moment when Paul's just wrestling? Well, did I say too much? Was I too harsh? Was I, did they sense I was too critical? Was I too hard on them? And out of that, we understand that, don't we? That sometimes some hard places lead us to some of the best places. We understand, don't we, that as we hear the things so often that we don't want to hear, that sometimes they bring some of the most dramatic change in our life. Jot a second thing down. This is so important for you to understand. Not only is repentance a really, really good thing, but write this down. Repentance is the funnel in which all revival flows. Now, you know what a funnel is, don't you? I've tried to stop bringing as many visual aids. I had two men in our church that were just so critical of that. And so I could see it was becoming a hindrance to them. But I have a giant funnel I wanted to bring today. But you do know what a funnel is, don't you? Shake your head so I'll know you're with me. You in the center, are you shaking your heads? You know, a funnel is pointed. A funnel is appropriate when you want large amounts to go in a small area. That's a simple definition of funnel. 
For instance, you don't want to spin the, spill the oil all over the engine. So you drop it in a larger area to, to funnel down into a small. If you were to invert the funnel over, I, I, what I want you to, to walk out with today is that it's that narrow part of the funnel called repentance that opens up at the bottom the reservoirs of God's blessing. That's so very important for us to understand. Why do we know that's true? Because our Bible preaches it and teaches it. You know, the Old Testament is pretty harsh at times. A little baby amen there? I mean, there's some pretty dramatic moments in the Old Testament that people say, wow, do we really want to follow this God that did that to those people? And sometimes people don't understand sometimes the wrath and judgment, especially of those Old Testament pages. But think about it, all of these great prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Jeremiah, all had the message of repentance. It's like they would stand to preach. They would pray. They would say, repent of your sins. They would pray and say, amen, and the message was over. All of those great prophets, our Old Testament is riddled with this concept of repentance, to turn, to make a new start and a new beginning with God. Because these prophets, they all knew that God was just longing, he was willing, he was ready to give people these great blessings and to pour through the funnel of repentance the very blessings that God desired to to bestow upon his people. And again, that Old Testament can be hard. But I remind you that the only reason that we do not have revival is because we are willing to live without it. You and I have got to yearn for revival. Well, enough about the Old Testament. But this funnel did not end in the Old Testament. It continued on into our New Testament. Jesus said the greatest prophet to ever be born of a woman was John the Baptist. You remember one of John the Baptist's great messages? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? It's at hand. Mark takes a moment in Mark 6, 12 to say, hey, you want to know what the message of the disciples were when they were preaching? Repentance. Check it out in Mark 6, 12. I mean, your New Testament, you get over there to the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 3, when man Peter is on fire preaching. I don't know how Pete did it. It's amazing. He just preached the same message. It appears over and over. Repentance and thousands of people came. But you know, we could just take all that and move it to the side. Because for me, when the Lord Jesus preached his very first sermon, Do you know what the very first word of Jesus' very first sermon was? Repent. You see, repentance is so important. That's why we want to get these four benchmarks in just a moment and be sure we have them going into this final countdown of our revival, the funnel. Write down a third thing. It's important. Repentance always comes before revival. There won't be any revival without repentance, We do understand that, don't we? I hope so. You know, when you go over there to Luke chapter 15, a lot of things happen in Luke 15, a lot of big moments, but the prodigal son moment is there. That particular story unfolds with us. And maybe that's the storyline that brings us to maybe one of the great moments of understanding that repentance is always 
a predecessor of revival. Here's this young man. He takes off and squanders his part of the inheritance, does things with it unimaginable, craziness, ludicrous, wastes all of these resources, then hits rock bottom and decides that he is going to come home. And we know when we chart his life. I mean, he ends up eating with the pigs of all things. This man came to his senses. That's his recognition of his sin. He had sorrow and grief. That was a heartfelt sorrow and emotion. And then at the end, you remember what he, he says, I, I guess I'm gonna rise and do the only thing I can do. And so he, the Bible says he arose and he went back to the father. But it was in that little moment that something dramatic happened to his life. Somewhere in that pig, pig pen experience, the son came to an understanding where he came to a reckoning. I'm a fool. I'm not where I need to be. There's got to be more in life for me than this. And we know his father was on his mind because the Bible tells us he, he didn't even know if he could return to the father. And then a very important fourth item, jot it down, grace flows to the place called repentance. Grace flows to the place called repentance. You remember as he made his way up that road, that prodigal son? Wow, what a moment that was. The Bible said the old dad sat on the front porch in a rocking chair smoking a big cigar. He saw his son coming from, a, coming from a far place and he sat there and he called out to the servant. He said, bring me another cigar. Look, my old sorry, good-for-nothing son's making his way up here and I'm going to make him walk every single miserable step. We know that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that the father saw the son, the wayward son coming. You remember? It was elation. Praise the Lord. Go get that special cat. Get that special food ready for a great ceremony. My son has come home. What a great picture. Because grace, I submit to you, always runs to that place of repentance. Now quickly, before we leave today, just a quick reminder. How do we know what the steps, the process, what process surrounds, if you will, repentance? Paul does such an amazing job here in our text. I, I just want to highlight these for us. We walk out with them, maybe, to, maybe just before the Super Bowl kicks off. You'll have enough time before 4.17 Central Time, 4.17 p.m. to maybe just digest a little bit more than we're going to have time this morning to really expound on. But four marks of true repentance. Here they are. Number one, grief over sin. Number one, grief over sin. I don't know if we have time to do it. In fact, we don't have time to do it. But 
for you to have the word sorry, if you brought the NIV today, you have the word sorry. Some of you have the word sad. And it's mentioned, what, five times or so right here in these three or four verses. Lapeo. That, that word lapeo is, is, is used 26 times in our New Testament. By the way, half of those are in 2 Corinthians, and half of that 13 is used five or six times right here in chapter number 7. It's a Greek word that, 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 that means soul anguish, if you will. It means great grief or great feeling or trepidation over choices. And I would just submit to you that one of the challenges you and I have, again, is the identification. We can't really grieve many times because we have identification problems of sin. We haven't murdered. We haven't stolen. So we're doing pretty good. But yet our lives aren't fulfilled and, and they're not rich like we want them. There's something missing in our lives. And again, we go back to that categorizing of we're not that bad. We look around at our neighbor and we say, well, we're doing better than they are. We're at church more than they are. And I, I bet we pray more than she does. I, I bet we give more often than they do. And all of a sudden, it's a comparison game. Do you really want to play the comparison game in America today? I don't. My goodness, is that our standard? And Paul drives home this picture. I would just submit to you, maybe what we need to be looking at is not murder or theft, but pride. Maybe there's a challenge with some of us today about the positions and accomplishments and prestige and power. I know we don't want to think about that. Maybe it's not so much in the area of pride, but pleasure. And not always in me we think about sexual pleasure. And absolutely, if, if someone is pleasuring himself at the expense of others, that certainly is a sin. But maybe it's a substance pleasure. You know, maybe someone recognizes that eight cups of coffee to calm us down. Maybe God's word speaks enough to us to understand that God wants to be the calming agent in our life. Maybe it's priorities. Maybe we stop taking care of ourselves. Maybe we've stopped taking care of others. Maybe we're withholding ourselves. Maybe it's the failure to forgive or to be kind to someone. Maybe it's priority in our relationship with God. Maybe our quiet time, our prayer time, our real hunger for God's word. Maybe it's not where it needs to be. I would submit to you that our big challenge is we don't understand the definition and the defining difference between confession and repentance. Many times we confess things. You do understand that all confession is is in agreement with God, that something's wrong. That's a, that's, that's a far stretch from repentance. Just because we agree with God something's wrong, confession, that does not constitute true repentance. We know repentance means to change, to turn, to go in different direction of. And what Paul is writing here in these incredible verses, and he highlights for us, we see first out of verse 9, 10, and 11, the challenge that they had in just the very general nature of all this stuff going on. 
I mean, just that Paul had to take time to write a letter to send it back because people were doing blatant things in the church that everyone knew was wrong. And even the little things had crept in and those things had become so mundane because of the big sins, the big transgressions. Here we go again, categorizing big and it's all black to God. It's all marred to God. It's all devastating to God. Sin is just sin to God. There are no baby sins, little sins, paquito sins. No, no, it's just all sin. And so as Paul is fleshing these pictures out, it's as if he's saying, you do understand that when it comes to your lipeo, your sadness, your sorrow, there are two categories. There's godly sorrow. And by the way, Paul basically says that's a free way to forgiveness. And he says there's also this worldly sorrow, this worldly lipeo, this sadness, that's a dead end to death. I wasn't going to do this, but we must. The Spirit has spoken to me. Out in the margin somewhere, for you on computer, don't panic. (laughs) Off chart. Here's two things that I've learned in my personal life and in 30 some odd years of pastoring to know the difference between confessing and repentance, or even repentance that maybe started on the rails but has derailed. Two little gold mines here that I wouldn't share with anyone else but you. Two ways you can know true repentance. Number one is simply stated, true repentance will never lead to denial. Write that down somewhere, that's important. True repentance will never lead down a path to denial. Now, before you jump to conclusions, have you ever heard any of these little things stated? Someone's wrestling with something. Maybe you're wrestling with something in your life. You're confessing it to God. You're you're on the verge of going down that road of true repentance. And then over a period of time, all of a sudden, we get into that comparison thing and somehow this begins to creep into your mind and heart. Well, you know what? The more I look at that, everybody's doing it. When I came here as pastor, we had signs everywhere. No drinks in the sanctuary. Don't you bring a drink in this sanctuary. I notice we have one lady who likes to bring something in. She has a little challenge with dryness of mouth, and so she wouldn't even sneak it in. But now I notice she just brings it on in, which is fine with me. I would love people to be in church with their flip-flops and sandals if they choose to be. And I know that gives you the eebie-jeebies. But in Southwest culture, that's fine and accepted. I just want people to be in the Lord's house. We got a shot if they're in the house of God. But, you know, just over a period of time, we look around. Well, look, she's bringing her cup in. And when it comes to the sin nature, have you ever said this or heard it said after you think about something, we began to rationalize and we say, you know, the more I think about that, I know I did that. 
but it just was, that's not me. Yes, it is. We have a country and western singer that's in big trouble now. He made some kind of crazy racial remark. He said, that's not me. Yes, it is. That is you. You see, those kind of things that lead down to a road of denial or one of my favorites, well, the more I thought about that, it's just not that big a deal, is it? Maybe, Pastor, I'm making something big out of nothing. Can I just help you a little bit? That's never repentance. It's never going to be repentance. Because repentance is a good thing. It's a very, very good thing. A, a second little help is that the road to, to uh, repentance, I would just suggest to you that, that it never goes down a road of what I would just say is displaced, and that's a key word, displaced despair. It never goes down a road of displaced despair. Displaced despair, uh, uh, despair looks like this. Oh, we're upset, we're sorrowful about something that we've been involved in because it's really gotten us in a mess. It's about what it's done to self. Displaced despair is, is, is all about feeling sorry for self and the quagmire of problems that you have put yourself in. True repentance is not so much sorry for what you've done as what you've done to the master. What you've done to others. Maybe false repentance would be, oh, that's just broken my heart. Well, what about his heart? What about those that have been transgressed against? What about their heart? It's like, oops, I broke the law. I shouldn't have done that. Hey, what about breaking his heart? And so Paul, the way he amplifies that is he just said, you do see it, don't you? You can differentiate between grieving over sorrow. That is if you, I mean, grieving over sin. That's if, even if you can identify it, that there's a distinct difference, big, big whopping difference between worldly sorrow, worldly repentance, and divine repentance, godly sorrow, godly Wow. You know, I guess I would just summarize it this way. Repentance always has three prongs to it. Every time. It's a mind, you change your mind, you change your heart, and then that changes your direction. You tell me, can you have true repentance without those three things? There's a change in your mind, there's a change in your heart. And ultimately, there'll be a change in your direction. You're not listening fast enough today. We've got to hurry. Number two, second big benchmark. Grief, grief over sin. We've got to move on. Repulsion towards sin. Go down to verse number 11. There's always going to be, in true repentance, a repulsion. Now, that's a, that's a strong word. In fact, I love this out of verse number 11. Told you verse 11 is a big verse for us. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Now, watch this. Watch this little 
layout here. Watch this little the way it's synchronized, the language of this, the process of this. Look at it unfold. What earnestness, out of very sincerity, he says, watch this. What eagerness, there's the desire, to clear yourselves. What indignation, what anger, what frustration, what alarm. How did I get in this place? What alarm. What longing. Man, I love that. What longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Do you see that process? Indignation. What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness. You see, you can always mark this. True repentance, there'll be an energy that is given to you by the Spirit of God to begin to get business done with God the way it should be done. There'll be a repulsiveness about the old way of what you were doing. It won't come necessarily from a message because Pastor Mike preached on it. That's not going to be the outcome more than likely of today. That's going to creep into the picture during that quiet devotional time. The Spirit's going to come to some people and he's going to say, you know what? Why are you doing this? Why, why are you saying this over and over? Why do you keep feeling this way? And it's out of that quiet voice of the Holy Spirit in your life that a work will start in your mind eventually it'll gestate in your heart. And if it's true, real godly repentance, there'll be a change of direction in your life. Won't be something that's necessarily externally motivated outside of the very working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it comes in many different ways. But all of a sudden, you looked at what you were saying, what you were doing for all this period of time, and all of a sudden, it repulses you, it's sick, it's nasty, it's filthy, and you're asking yourself, what was I thinking? And a better question was, who did I allow to think for me? Because the great victor there is the evil one. Oh, you're, you and I are guilty. But give credit where credit's due. The evil one put his spell we bought in, and now everyone around us is paying the price. Wow, this repulsion for sin. I was thinking, we talked a moment ago about the prodigal son. I mean, think about that. He was in that pig pen, and just that moment, yuck, what am I doing here? The misery, the, I, mean, I mean, that place became so repulsive. I don't know about you, but it wouldn't take very long in a pig pen to be pretty repulsive, amen? That God brought him to his senses. We got to hurry, number three. Not just grief over sin, repulsion towards sin, but number three, restitution toward others. It's almost inevitable that true repentance will bring restitution to others. Look at that phrase in verse 11. In fact, I just read it, very end of verse 11. Do you see it? What readiness to see what? Justice done. Golly, I wish I could say more. I'll just say this. The poster boy in the Bible 
for this moment of repentance and restitution is one of my favorite biblical characters by the name of Zacchaeus. A wee little man was he? You, you wanna sing it? No, we better not. That would put us in a revival choir technically, right? Y'all are gonna try to give me a hard time today and I'm not gonna let you do it. We remember Zacchaeus, don't we? Tax collector, our favorites. What? Crook, thief, stealing from people, not just taking what Jerusalem, what, what, what the religious community wanted, not just taking what the Roman authorities, but he was taking some more for himself. He was a thief. And we know the thing we really remember about him is what? <laughs> he, was a little, he was a little dude. I don't know what the proper word for that is anymore. I'm not even gonna try. His growth was stunted. How's that? And so up a tree he goes. Jesus sees him. Jesus goes home with him, creates a huge monstrous stir in the community. What's he doing? What's he going with the Methodist to dinner? I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, it was a big moment, wasn't it? And there in time alone, there must have been something that was so amazing about Jesus' look, his demeanor, well, he was God. <laughs> but Zacchaeus was transformed. He didn't just make a commitment to Jesus. His life was changed. And do you remember going right into the parables? Jesus did something big there. There's just this, there's this, this little bitty, just a little bitty, small statement in Luke 19 and, and, and it's like it's just a few words there and so often we miss it but you remember Zacchaeus said out of that conversion you remember what he says Lord I just want you to know now before you go on to this teaching I'm going to give back everything that I've taken well partly true because it didn't exactly say that, did it? It said, Lord, I'm going to give back all those possessions. And, and Lord, for those that I've cheated and taken from them, it's kind of a Exodus 22 moment here, wasn't it, from the Old Testament. Return fourfold, Zacchaeus said, and I want to give back four times more. Dude, that's going to go deep. That's going to cut into many years of stealing and beyond. Why don't you just pay back everybody, Zacchaeus? I mean, if you stole $100, give the $100 back and call it even. Zacchaeus says, you know, I'm so moved, not only by who my Lord is and what I've done to him, but now what I've done to others I want to make restitution and beyond. That's how repentance works, real repentance. The last, let's just jot it down, then we've got to move on. A renewed reverence and commitment toward God. I just wanted to show you this, and I promise we end. Verse number nine. I love this phrase in verse nine. I want you to couple it with a phrase out of verse 11. I don't know if you mark your Bibles, but this is a real key statement. In verse nine, look at the phrase, you became sorrowful, you became sad, if you will, as God, what does that say? As God 
intended. You see that? That's big. Go down to verse 11 and look at this little phrase right there kind of in the middle. See what this has produced in you. Wow. You see, a renewed reverence. In fact, you go back and you look. Those first couple verses there, Paul describes, I wish we had more time to talk about it, the fear. He says, this place, great fear in you, where you were, and that whole transformation of repentance, there was great fear and awe, that reverence, and there's a whole renewed commitment because God now, you and God out of repentance, by the way, repentance, did I tell you, is a very, very good thing because you and God are walking together. What a phenomenal place. That's what I want you to hear from me today. Repentance, even though it's a tough, hard place, it's an awfully good thing. It's a great, healthy thing. We don't want to live there. We don't want to go there very often. But when we must, grace runs to that place called repentance. Hear the voice of your pastor today. God is not reluctant. Hear me, God is not unwilling to unleash a river of blessing in your life. Even now, I'm telling you, the clouds of heaven are about to burst and could burst at any time with God's great mercy and his grace that he could shower upon you and us. And the truth to being able to release that is a funnel. A funnel. I want you to do something with me as we close. Kind of get your hands free here with me. And I just want you to think about this and then I'm going to pray. Some of you are going to say, well, that was kind of corny. I don't care. I just want you to cup your hand and hold it six, nine, 11, about 14 inches from your face. And I want you to join me for just a moment. And I just want us to pretend, don't look at me. Don't look at anybody else. You just look at the cup of your hand and I want you to pretend for a moment that that is a mirror. Are you looking right in the palm? Pick, pick a spot out in that mirror. And I just want for just a moment for you and I to think about as that's a reflection of us. I'm just going to voice it for us as we're looking right there in the mirror that's staring right back at us. Lord, well, we don't need to ask, do we? We don't need to ask what we need to repent of. We know, don't we? So as we're looking there in that mirror, Maybe what we need to utter today is just, Lord, I know there are some things in my life that don't belong. And so as this process begins with you, Lord, out of the mind it begins. And just as a starting place today, 
from a prayer of a pastor. Lower your mirrors that I just pray that you will take the teaching of God's word today and let it resonate in the inferno of our hearts. God is not reluctant. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these few moments that we've had teaching your word. Thank you for the sense that I get in this sanctuary. I, I would love to see today the center. I would love to see in each one of those homes today. But I just feel such a great spirit in this place today. As we have been in tune with the power of your word, we call upon the Holy Spirit to bring true revival into our fellowship. There are miles to go and tasks to do. And God is looking in this congregation for clean and mighty vessels for him. So, fathers, we just say to take our hands, take our hearts, purify us and cleanse us. Father, as we, tomorrow morning, some in the wee hours of the morning, some a little later in the morning, we open up a devotional guide and prayer guide together. We begin this 12-day journey. We have spoken often in our church about being prayer warriors. But so often there's so much more said than done. So Father, I pray that this would be the 12 days of doing. What would it mean for a wife to see a husband really spend time in prayer? What would it mean just to witness that in her husband? What an incredible moment for a wife to sling, swing by the office and say, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. My husband has been devotional guiding and praying. Father, I pray that the men in our church, we would be the leaders, consistent. I pray that the women who have had to carry this church so often on their shoulders would continue to be right there in line, equipped, ready for any action of God. Father, I pray for a student ministry that has such an incredible love and passion for their Lord and Savior that sharing with their friends at school, those on their teams, that will just be a byproduct of who they are. Father, I pray that as we inch closer and closer to these days of revival that you will be with us. And in those moments, not only during the revival, but in those few weeks following, that we would see your fruit of what you choose to do. We love you and worship you. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.